And this guy, I almost wanted to hire him for growth. He just put on this like master class of sales. Maybe if he would have taken a shower, I would have, have thought about it. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, welcome, welcome. Today on the podcast, I have my business partner, Jonathan Ainuon, and we're going to cover some things. We're going to talk about growing pains. A lot of people love this idea of growth, but what are the growing pains that come with it? Because we're hitting some real ones right now that we'll talk about. Jonathan's launching something really exciting called Damn Good Marketing that he's going to talk about. And then we have some things we want to hit on. I've got, I've got a list of 10 half-baked startup ideas. Jonathan has basically like seven companies that have caught his eye because we're just trying to have our finger on the pulse of what's interesting and new that's going on. So we'll see if we cover everything. But Jonathan, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm definitely excited to talk about some of the things you just hit on, especially the the growing pains. Uh, we've been you know, almost talking about it, complaining about it to each other almost on a daily basis. So excited to hit on that now. Yeah, we and what's funny is I don't think you and I get to talk enough. We are so busy doing things, which is nice because we have very complementary skills. So when we get together, I do think it's it's pretty productive. And you you're really good. You don't vent. And it's it's mm. been contagious. I might have vented a lot in a previous life, but venting isn't helpful, right? It actually just kind of makes you a little more miserable. It's more about being action oriented. And I, I think we're that. So we're, we're not venting today. We're just, we're flagging some issues, right? That, that we're seeing with growing pains. Is that the, the right way to position it? Absolutely. And the one thing that always keeps me centered is to think with the end in mind, always have that as like the, the final destination, you know, like the, the flag in the distance that I'm trying to go to. And when I have that there, everything else feels like a puzzle that has to be solved in the moment to get there. Like I don't lose sight of that. And when I do, that's really the, the only point of anxiety is like losing sight of where we're trying to go and getting lost in the minutia. You know, that's a really good point. I was my little workout training class. I feel like I talk about a bunch on this podcast now. I was working, they made me do like box jumps, which are just miserable because I'm about to just bang up my shins. And the trainers, I read this stat that... The top sprinters in the world, when they visualize the finish line and they focus on it, they increase their speed by 25%, which is why if you run a marathon and you can see the finish line, all of a sudden you have all this energy and you can start sprinting. So it's kind of taking that approach and putting it to business. Because if you see that end goal of where you want to go, then you don't care about the noise. You have the blinders on. So anyway, that's how I'm comparing what you said. My, My trainer yelling at me. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Surprisingly, to extend that a little further, in yoga, before you start your practice, they say, set the intention for the practice. What are you trying to get out of this? And it's surprising. It's very effective. It it helps you first decide what you're trying to get out of it. And you surprisingly get there when you do that. I've I've tested that so many times and it's very effective. Oh, that's very cool. All right. So we're not talking about the finish line. We're talking about all the other growing pains. So he, one thing that I have is there's this idea of a schedule of the the maker schedule and the manager schedule. The maker schedule, you look at your calendar, it's all open. 
because you're about to go do deep work, get into flow where you're working on stuff. You're like, I don't even know what time it is. I'm, I'm so in the groove. And then you have the manager schedule where it's 8.30 Zoom, 9 o'clock Zoom, 9.45 Zoom. And you're just putting out fires. You're in Slack and you're, you're in email. I haven't had a maker schedule in so long. We try and have no meeting Fridays. That still gets hijacked for me. I can get like maybe a four hour block sometimes. I try and block off time. I have clockwise, which will automatically schedule deep flow and it always gets hijacked. For me, that's what kills me a little bit. I've been waking up real early just trying to find uninterrupted time or, or working late. But that's one of the things that kills me with growth because it's good. I'm having to do more sales calls, more interviews, but my maker schedule has been just taken away. Yeah, you know, one of the the big issues I wanted to hit on actually, somewhat related to this, is just the whole how like scaling breaks at a certain point. And I bring this up because, I mean, you know, as, as you know, part of at least my maker schedule is building out a system, a process, building the machine essentially as the as the integrator or COO at GrowthIt. And I've realizing over time that the systems that we had for, let's say, us getting to, let's say, the first 10 people or 10 hires doesn't work after a certain point. And I'm sure there are actually people right now, Jim, even as the CEO of GrowthIt, like at least I can name five people on the team that you haven't seen who are part of the team that you probably haven't had a conversation with, which is crazy. And it's what systems and what things do we need to build on a constant basis to make, to essentially upgrade ourselves, to take into account the growing size of the team and the complexity that comes with that. I usually, you know, spend a lot of time during that maker time of my schedule, just thinking through these things, building the systems and machines. And that's really one of the big things that has been a concern for me lately. It's just that our systems that worked so well until now no longer serve the purpose, that they have to be rethought or rebuilt. And we're onboarding a lot of new team members, so it's definitely top of mind right now and one of the big issues. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we have these buttoned up processes that flow really well when it's under 20 people. And it's interesting as we go over and there becomes these layers, these things just start breaking that we're so reliable. You're like, oh, wow, that doesn't happen anymore. Even for me, communication. We're iterating yeah. so fast. There's so much going on that there's people that if I'm not talking to them on a weekly basis they're out of the loop. And I try and do these big company Slack updates every week. They're now like bi-weekly. And that's how I'm trying to have a megaphone to talk about what's going on. And we're, we're just 30 people. Like imagine being 300 people, right? Where that happens. I remember talking to an agency owner who ended up selling his agency to Accenture. And he talked about those inflection points. And I told him the size of our company he goes, ooh, He's, that's the most dangerous size. He's that's one of the big inflection points. And I was like, oh crap. And so it, it really was interesting to hear him say that. Like he's gone to over 500 people with his agency, but he was like the 30 to 60 people mark is tough because that's when you're finally having that layer and that's where things can, can really shut down and it can impact profitability. And that kind of leads to another big growing pain is, I, I talked about communication, but it's really hiring and finding the right people because I have some experience doing hiring at one startup. I was like employee 20, we got it to, to 150 and I was a part of hiring, but I wasn't an HR person and we don't have an HR department. It's it's me or Haroon, thank God he exists. And, and that's been really tough, man, because these hires can be 
pivotal, pivotal in what you do. But are we doing it the right way? I'm using the framework from the book, Who? I'm obsessed with that, but it's tough. I mean, I look at my calendar now, so much of the time is interviews and trying to find the right people. Yeah, and you know, the crazy part is even just as as we scale as a team, I'm realizing that we are having to constantly shift our priorities. I mean, as we've said before, we use EOS internally as you know our 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 system, our, our OS, and it's it's given us terminology rocks. It helps us set these quarterly rocks individually at company level, and those things are shifting much faster than they need to be. We're supposed to run them for a quarter until completion, but we're realizing just even sometimes a week after setting those rocks and everyone agreeing that it's the biggest and most important thing for us to do, that it's actually not the biggest priority. There are other more pressing, not necessarily urgent, but still very important things for us to do. And that's been one of the strangest things for me to experience. And I still don't have a solution for it, even though we're, we're going into our next quarterly reset within the next week. It's that's been one of the greatest issues around that. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about those frameworks that keeps us somewhat sane. The the other thing that I think about is and I actually like this, but I think it's slowing our growth is whenever you grow, you have to sometimes take on a new role, a new seat. So you have to learn something new, right? Because before I was just the marketing guy. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, I have to bring a new business. I need to be a sales guy. Oh, I need to hire people. I need to be the HR guy person. So I need to do finance and account. I need to do ops. I love learning and taking on new things, but there's a learning curve with that, where if there was someone that we brought in that had been doing that for a longer time, they could do it faster and better than me. So it's, you're constantly having to develop new skill sets and also be self-aware. Oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. Or, oh, wow, I suck at this. I've got to fire myself very quickly. And I think it can be dangerous if you don't have that self-awareness where I'll be honest, I, th- I think I do. I think everybody thinks they do, but I know I have blind spots. And so that's something that I'm, I'm really trying to think through. And the other thing as a business owner, it's hard to get honest feedback sometimes, you know, from people. Cause I don't know if people would be, cause obviously like if, if you're controlling people's compensation stuff, are they going to be completely honest with you? And so I, I kind of crave that, but I don't know if I'm, I'm getting that. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like one thing I love about EOS is it has this delegate and elevate framework that forces you to be very introspective, identify the things that you need to hand off to people. And one thing we've been focusing on internally right now at Growth It is just making sure that people on the team have a path to grow. Previously, we didn't necessarily, we didn't think about it too much. It was very much, what is your role today? And we didn't give people a path, but now I think that's been built into the system and many people have you know, long roadmaps of things to, to aspire towards. So I think that's been very effective, helped you and even me and the rest of the team leadership, at least to upgrade, to do other things that are more important and, you know, delegate out these additional roles. Yeah. And, and we've even put into practice, which has been nice, but we'll, we'll do a future episode where I have you do my annual review and you grade me as cool. a, a, a business owner. It'll be great. We'll, we'll edit out yeah, all actually, the bad stuff. So I'm cool with yeah. that. I think we should definitely do that to each other. I'd I'd love to do that publicly and see uh, what we think about each other. I think that could potentially be scarring, but (laughs) (laughs) let's do that. We'll we'll schedule that for Q4. We'll do a public annual review. I'll wait till you do some. You mess up some really big, and we'll do it right after that. So we'll we'll make it happen. Love the timing. Okay. So any other thing on growing pains? I don't know if that's helpful for people, but I was literally talking to two other CEOs this week where 
I, I, I feel it. Like people have really cool stuff going on with their business, but it's a little exhausting. It's, it's a, it's, it's more nerve wracking. You think growth is all, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but it's, it's tough, man. And it feels very fragile, but I will say that the, the, it's better than the opposite. There's this quote from Mario Andretti that I love, but I don't know if our team loves, but it says, if everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. And I really like that because if we really had everything buttoned up and it was just perfect, it means we're probably not testing enough. We're not trying to go fast enough. And so I, I do think about that, at least whenever things are crazy, I'm like, oh, this is normal. This is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And actually to balance out some of the talk around pains, I think there's obviously been a lot of success. The team has grown dramatically. People have taken on very senior roles and I mean, even client satisfaction, we built out one day design in a very short period of time and it's getting a lot of amazing reviews. So we managed to pull together many things and, you know, move super fast. And that's the reason why I think we're feeling some of these pains is that we are moving very fast. It's not just a, you know, a stale company where we're doing stale things. So that's exciting. Speaking of moving fast and taking on a lot of initiatives, you have something you're going to be launching, hopefully it'll be live by the time this gets out there. But do you want to talk about Damn Good Marketing? Yeah, so Damn Good Marketing, actually, it's a, it's a project that's, you know, that's born out of my own you know, personal interest, just studying the best marketing that I come across. That I, you know, that's, that's literally fun for me, is just studying best businesses that do remarkable bits of marketing to get themselves above the competition. And it's, it's a channel that essentially curates all sorts of companies. There's no single type of company that it's focused on. And it's everything from essentially the, you know, the, the unique type of product that they create and positioning around it to, you know, like marketing stunts that they employ to get it out in the, in the, in the public. And it's going to be short videos. That's, that's, the, that's the content format that I'm, I'll be focusing on. And uh, definitely be launched TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts, and the likes. And I think by the time this is released, uh, we'll definitely have a nice catalog of, of shorts out there. What example are you the most fired up to put out there as far as cool things that you've seen? I know you've got some on the list. You got you and I are sharing on this amazing Google Doc. What's something you're fired up to put out there? Yeah, so... One thing that's really, it's, it's, it's definitely the, the odd ones, the, the ones that you'd never expect. For example, Fiat in, in the early 90s, when they were launching a product, uh, wanted to, you know, they wanted to use direct mail as their method of, you know, getting out to the masses. And they wrote love letters, handwritten love letters to their demographic, which were women, professional women, single usually, but sometimes in relationships. And those love letters were like, they were just misinterpreted. It was done horribly wrong. And people thought, at least these women thought they had stalkers. And the entire city, some Spanish town, all reported to the police that uh, there's some stalker in town <laughs> trying to, you know, like sending these love letters to these women. And it became a huge, uh, like, marketing fail. And these marketing fails, as much as the successes, are, are very interesting to me. But that stands out the most. <clears throat> Another one that I actually have discussed with you in the past is pink cocaine. How the cartels rolling out pink cocaine to appeal to a new uh, generation. They even have their own genre of music to help people hallucinate more. So things like that that I, just fascinate me. And although we're not going to, you know, do something like that, there's definitely things we can, you know, repurpose or take inspiration from for our own clients or even our own projects in the future. Yeah, no, man, that that one's pretty crazy. You should do a whole series on the most epic marketing fails and like what are the takeaways from that, right? Whether it's like 
Zima or Coke Zero or how people change their whole positioning. I think there was one around Burger King, I believe, for a while was really winning, going after McDonald's by being the anti-family one, being all about the burger. But then they did this big campaign where they pivoted to go after families and they just got crushed by McDonald's because it's like McDonald's owns the happy meal meal space. Don't even try and compete there. But I think that'd be a pretty cool series. Absolutely. Actually, the one I'm releasing today is on is on Burger King as we record. And they did an ad showing how their products were fresh. It's not like the McDonald's patty that's full, full of preservatives that never, you know, that never decays or rots. And they had images of their burgers or their Whoppers rotting essentially on TV. And that had obviously the reverse impact. People were, you know, seeing Burger King, the Whoppers they used to enjoy like rotting and definitely backfired. So definitely a lot to report there. That's awesome. All right. So fired up for damn good marketing. We're going to be talking about some of the stuff that you do in damn good marketing here, like on an ongoing basis. So let's talk about things that we're seeing that that are interesting. So I'm going to talk about one kind of category. So I, I did a podcast with someone who sold their company for a very, very big number. And what was interesting was when they were going through that acquisition, they hired a business coach that specializes in transactions. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And one aside, if anyone's listening to this and you want to be a freelancer, the best thing you can do is not be like, oh, I'm a growth marketing freelancer. And I do a little bit of everything because... You know, it's like people have you do a bunch of things. You're not going to be great at one thing. And so you can't charge a high rate. I would do the opposite. Like I'm a freelancer. I only take on three to five clients, but I'm the best at this. I'm the best like growth marketer in SaaS that optimizes pricing pages for self-serve onboarding with prices between $20 to $500. Because if you only need to close three to five people, you can be really specialized and just charge an insane value. But what's interesting about this guy is when you can be a coach where you're not, you don't even have a fixed rate or hourly price, you are a percentage of something. That's when it's magical. Because my guess is this executive coach that specializes in transactions, his whole like website is all the transactions he's helped negotiate and uh, he's getting a percentage of that. I was like, oh, I was like, that is next level of how you run a consulting or freelance business. But it got me thinking, what are other, and what's also interesting is, is, you know, you and I are from the school of, we want a business that has recurring revenue, like monthly subscriptions. That's the holy grail. But the opposite of that is not recurring, but reoccurring where it's, oh, like this is always going to be happening. People are always going to be selling their businesses. So what are other like reoccurring events that you could have a business around? Right. So it got me thinking, you know, and the other thing to put into it, selling your business, how many times do you really do that? Right. Once in a lifetime, maybe twice if you're like Elon Musk. So if you can, if it's reoccurring, it's a one-time event. So people don't have a lot of expertise in it. So you're in high demand, but also it's a huge transaction value, which is all the reason why real estate, you know, realtors exist, right? So it's, what are those moments? So it's like when you buy a home, you buy a car, when you have a kid, when you send people to college, those are those events. And I was looking at this and there's a company called Pear Tree. They actually launched out of Seattle and they're going after the adoption space. Because I don't know if you know this, but adopting a kid is like a really hard, painful, stressful 
very antiquated process. And their growth has been insane. And I'm actually an angel investor in this, so I, I have some insights, but they were just like, hey, let us kind of make a matchmaking making service for this. And the, the demand they got from families that want to adopt was insane. And they have a simple subscription where you can get on their platform and they connect, connect you with expecting mothers. And they've been able, I think, now to raise like an A round of funding, but they're about to take over that whole space is my guess, where yes, they're owning the marketplace of families, but then also the expecting mothers. But also there's a lot of paperwork and legal documents that get involved in that. So that's another kind of business idea to go after what are these one-time events where you can charge a lot of money for because people are willing to pay for it so those are things that i that i thought were really interesting after seeing this executive coach that's just specialized in one-time events that these ceos go through but but not sure if you've seen anything like that yeah actually i'll start with one that i just thought about actually as you were talking about pear tree this is not in the adoption market it's actually in the senior care market and it's venting a stale category like senior care where all the competition all the companies in that space all use cnas essentially these are certified nurse assistants you know essentially go home to either home or in in communities to to help seniors with their needs and an interesting company came around called Papa, and I think they got inspiration from Japan, where they have a huge senior market, and their terminologies they call them PALs, hence you know that whole Papa reference. And they they have raised money from literally the biggest names in, in, in tier one VC firms, and they have people. Sometimes they're not even certified CNAs, so they've kind of expanded the market the same way Uber, for example, went from they went from taxis to any car potentially on the road to doing you know ride sharing. They are doing something similar where they've gone away from the CNA market into potentially even you know like random strangers potentially coming into your home and helping your your senior loved one with their needs. Sometimes even just checking to make sure that they've taken their medicine. Something as simple as that, and they've expanded the market of potential providers, the, the PALs in this case. And it's, it's, it's a new and dynamic, very uh, you know, interesting offer in that senior space that has been stale since day one. So I'm very interested to see what happens there, but that's going to definitely blow up. The next thing that I actually wanted to hit on is just local services and just the power of being number one in a certain area for a certain niche. I remember what, like several years ago, I locked myself out of, out of my house and I had to call a locksmith. And the guy who showed up, came in with a $200,000 car. And I was shocked. I was like, this, this has to be like, something must be off. And he was the number one result for locksmith in the North Seattle area. And he, he quoted prices on the spot. And as you know, if you've locked yourself out of your home or your car, usually the home, it's you're in a desperate situation, you need to get you need to get in and he can quote you anything. And with I think for 15 minutes of work, uh, he charged me $200. And I'll never forget that as an example of the pricing power of being number one, especially if you have an elegant, an intelligent or well thought out way of quoting the price. If he had done it ahead of time, I would have compared rates, but he was already there. He was already fixing my lock. And at that point he had me. So I thought that was, that was genius. And I'll never forget that example. And I think uh, the last thing I wanted to hit on really here is just roll-ups. I think I've seen the industry, or I should say what was trending several years ago was, you know, raising money from VCs and and that was the path to you know entrepreneurial success. Soon after that, I saw a movement around the indie hacker movement and bootstrappers and and people starting 
their own businesses out of their own pockets and you know getting the revenue to fund the business. And then after that, what I'm seeing now is it being cool to acquire businesses. And maybe it's because I'm in that echo chamber, but I'm seeing a lot of these like these family firms, essentially a tiny capital that we both love from Andrew Wilkinson, but smaller versions of that where someone owns a laundromat and let's say the local gas station and maybe an online site for you know comic books or something like that. And they have this portfolio of small companies that are still all sustainable, have decent margins, don't require too much of the owner's time or easy to automate and, uh, and build up. And I think one of the most recent, very popular examples of this is Cody Sanchez with the contrarian thinking that we've talked about. And how she's built a movement, an interesting, you know, reputation about around being the thought leader around this. How like you take a company that used to use fax machines that was owned by a baby boomer. Now you've suddenly introduced even some little bit of tech to it and you've taken it to the next level. So that's, I think, another interesting thing that I'm, I'm seeing, whether it's a roll up or just a portfolio of small companies. But yeah, that's that's the other idea there. I know. As I look at you and I, what we're trying to build, like on the list is one doing a roll-up in the right category. Two is testing a local service. And three is I, I really want us to get some some deal experience. And, and that's something that that I'm thinking through. But I want to go on your local services one because that one kind of fascinates me. It makes me think, you know, while the TAM total addressable market isn't huge unless you kind of like really branch out, if you can get the right people, you can have these mini monopolies where you're potentially playing on easy mode rather than hard mode. I, I've seen a couple that have caught my attention. So the first one, they're actually in our neighborhood. The, this guy was power washing a, a house. And I was like, walk in and I kind of talked to him. And said, what, what do you charge for that? 750 bucks. Takes him 90 minutes. And he's I'm booked out for six weeks. And it's a man. And he's doing three or four of those a day. One person is making, you know, almost 90K a month churning out the, these power washing like jobs. You know, that's seven figures from one person that, that that person's doing. I'm like, man, that is insane. The the other one is if people that don't live in Seattle don't know, Seattle has a reputation, you know, it, it can be dreary and rainy. There there are some truths to that. But for me, the 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 hardest part are the spiders. The Pacific Northwest is beautiful and green, but what comes with that are some gnarly spiders. And it is probably the hardest part of, of living in this beautiful area. And this guy was putting on a masterclass. It's like door-to-door pesticide salesman. So I was, I was like actually working with Christopher doing some sales stuff. And this guy knocked on the door and I'm like, let me open this. And so I knew it was about to be a sales pitch. I was like, I'm going to let this guy just run it. So he rings the doorbell. He takes six steps back and he has his stance open. And I know this is all rehearsed. So it seems inviting. So it's not like someone that's looking in your peephole. I open the door. And so, hey, it was just in the neighborhood. Thought I'd stop by. I spoke to, and then he like inserts the name of our neighbor. So there's like some trust there. He's like, yeah, we're, you know, pesticide. We're in the neighborhood. We're about to do a bunch of jobs. Just thought I'd walk by because we have a deal that we're giving to all the neighbors. So I'm like, okay, he's going with the attention. And then he goes with the problem. He's, you know, as you know, you know, the fall is coming. It's about to be high, like spider season. And he's like, by the way, I can see some eggs forming around your house. And he starts calling out areas where spiders are about to come. So he definitely is like attention, interest, problem. And he's like, here's the solution. You know, Ron down the street just got a package. And so we're giving everybody on the block 20% off if you want to get your house sprayed. And he's like, oh, and by the way, we can come back every quarter to do another spray. 
And this guy, I almost wanted to hire him for growth. He just put on this like master class of sales. Maybe if he would have taken a shower, I would have, have thought about it. But it was also, he put some urgency to it. He's like, and you know, you, the truck will be here in a few hours. So if you're going to do it, do it now. If not, the, the offer, you know, it doesn't really make sense. And so I, I wish I would have recorded. I actually think I have it on my nest. I just don't have any audio. But I was like, man, this guy is, is I, I wanted to ask him, like, what's your commission, man? What are you making on this? Let me, let me double it. Come, come work at Growth Hit. But that was one that I was pretty impressed by. Yeah, you know what's amazing? Isn't it, isn't it crazy when you're going through life as a marketer or as a salesperson and you see other people doing things and you can almost dissect it in the moment? Like you're you know reading someone's play and you're like, wow, he just did that. That was attention and credibility and social proof and you know, like urgency at the end, like that truck is coming in the next 20 minutes, the, the, the offer expires and things like that. That happens to me a lot. So it's interesting how you caught all of that. And yeah, definitely awesome. It's like you're getting played, but you're like, you like it. I almost wanted to be like, do that again. I'm going to record this, send this to our sales team because this this was a masterclass. But yeah, that that one was, was really, really cool. But yeah, what, what else are you, you seeing that you're, you're into right now or that's getting your attention? Obviously, productized services. I'm a huge fan of productized services, have been since day one. I like how the margins are awesome on it. And if you're, you know, really optimizing for quality of life and a simple fixed scope offering, I think there are a few that have caught my attention recently. Very different. One is actually not just a productized service. It actually is, is engineering, is marketing. It's, it's good sales emails. And what they do, which is quite interesting, is it's, it's, it's a lead capture mechanism where it's like an evergreen piece of you know, content or a URL where you can send traffic that will eventually generate leads for for the for the parent company. We've seen this with I think it was the team with uh, Splash.io and Crew, if I'm not mistaken, in the past, and many others uh, that have definitely taken advantage of things like this. The others are Roast My Landing Page, UX Roast Audit, and at least these three because I've seen a company called User Onboard in the past, and this was when app downloads was an, was a big thing, an important thing for many businesses, and how a lot of companies were losing a lot of those those downloads within the first few steps of onboarding. And he built a business around consulting people how to you know fix their onboarding issues. It's just a site where he used to do teardowns, and it turned into a huge consulting business. And Roast My Landing Page, for example, does very something very similar. It's a tripwire where you pay this consultant money for him to go through your site, give you an audit of the main problems. Same thing with UX Roast. The only angle or the only change in, in, in that offering is you get other founders to roast your page instead of a consultant. And then audit and do what works, which are also very similar in the sense that you get to learn from the best of what other people are doing. Tests that have been run or, you know, best practices that you can copy and learning on on other people's time and money instead of having to make that same mistake to learn on your own. And um, I think these all are, are my examples of productized services. They at the very least have amazing tripwires. And I think Roast My Landing Page, sorry, Roast My Landing Page only offer has its offer for $250. But once you take that, you can, you know, it, it it expands. There's a larger consulting package behind it for several thousand dollars. So very interesting businesses that I've been tracking lately. I love it when the name says exactly what it does. I and mean, it has that tripwire offer to kind of get you in the door. The, the, I mean, maybe I'm such a simple thinker, but those are the ones that get me really fired up, which is why I love one day design. You know, right now I'm a little obsessed with trying to find the perfect ad. With our creative team, we're really going deep on what are the top 
D2C brands that are investing in ads and what are they doing well? And there's one brand that is putting on a masterclass right now that I actually want us to do a whole like podcast on, but it's Manscaped. And I'll just talk about the ad because the formula goes like this and it's, it's amazing. So, so Manscaped, it makes men's grooming products for below the belt. And this, this ad within the first three seconds, it's hot girl. And you see her belly button within, you know, three seconds. Our creative director, Angela, called that out. So look how they pan on this. It's like, we see midriff and belly button at the, the two second mark. So it's like, you, you have their, their attention. And she's like talking about like her guy and what he's finally doing. And then it shows like before and after, as far as he used to use what he was using on his face it was like him going down below the belt. It's not, and it's like in black and white. It's almost an infomercial. And then it goes to him using the Manscaped product. And it's in color. It's a really nice bathroom. And he's, you know, happy with the product. And then it, it's so it's like attention before and after. And then it goes to almost like an Apple-esque image of unboxing and showing the product and then they push all of the bundles with a final call to action. They did this within 27 seconds. The production value is just insane. Oh, and it ends with kind of this press obsessed feel where it's all these guys using it and all this press. But I mean, it's a 20 second ad. It's They have all these different variations of it. But just by going through the Facebook ad library, I'm like, this ad is their moneymaker. And it is the exact formula that we need to be replicating with, with all of our clients. But, but that's one. And especially because with Manscaped, you know, it can be a low price point. But with their bundles, they're getting it into triple digits. And so you can invest a lot in ads on that because your CAC, even if it's 20, 30, or 40, the AOV is like 100, 150, or even 200. So it's going to have a good return on ad spend ROAS. But anyway, we, we've got to go deeper on Manscaped. They're, they're putting on a masterclass right now. The funny thing is I've seen uh, those similar ads with Dollar Shave Club and Beard Brand. And I think Harmon Brothers, uh, that video recording studio or that the, those specialists in, in, in videos like that have created, you know, a storyboard and they have the formula down of creating videos like this that resonate, get the attention, the sales. And uh, yeah, and I think what you just said actually mirrors a lot of that. So interesting. Well, cool, man. Well, what else? Anything else you have? No, I think that's it. I just, you know, recently was also just checking out this, uh, this, uh, this tool called snack.io and they're a tool for repurposing your, your content. I think this is something I was actually recommending to you. And that's how I came across it. And they have this interesting way of, of getting you to just give them your, your content. They're not trying to sell you up front. And it just stood out to me recently as a, as a very interesting example of a productized service, but the way they framed it around a product. And it almost feels like it's, it's you're, you're onboarding with a software tool where in fact, it's just a service behind it. So yeah, another interesting example. Yeah, this is this is something we talked about where we have all this content that's just dying in our Google Drive. Can we remix it to be for marketing purposes? This is a really nice site. I like how it's just a simple funnel. What scares me is I don't see a price. So I feel yep. like it's going to be custom and expensive, especially if they're going to a sales call, because if it's a lower price, it'd be self-serve onboarding. But if I have to do a sales call, it's like, okay, what I'm thinking like, 2500 at least. What do, you, do you have any insight on the price? I don't, but as you just said, they don't show you the price. It's share your content with us is step two, and you just sit back and relax. But it's, it's an easier onboarding than showing someone price. 
and making sure that, you know, they're willing to pay up front. So they'll probably get more leads up front, but, you know, much fewer than that selling. I think they're betting on their unique value, the value of their offer being strong enough to justify that price they'll put to you on the sales call. So interesting to see their methods. Let's book a call. We'll see. Well, maybe we'll have them come on the podcast, do a live pitch and unveil their pricing <laughs> for everybody. But I like their logo. I love the pizza slice. That's that's strong. Yeah, genius. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thanks, man. So on the next podcast, we'll eventually we'll do the uh, the reviews of ourselves in public. This will be real great. We'll see if we still have a company after that. We're going to go deep on Manscaped. I actually want to do a live brainstorm on the handsome chaos activation strategy because I really need your thoughts and opinions there. Angela and I were talking about that. And then let's keep the, the half-baked startup ideas coming. We've been getting some fun feedback from that. Maybe someone will launch one of them and then throw us all the equity and it's just easy money. Yeah, I'm actually also very interested in the whole local local businesses strategy we discussed today. I think, I mean, we've, we've considered this in the past in our, in our conversations and I think there's, there's definitely something there. Especially as we both know, like baby boomers are retiring in, in mass like never before. I think this is the first generation where I think millennials are, or I should say Gen X is, is taking over, or at least there's more of them than baby boomers in the marketplace. So I think that shift in wealth is, is definitely happening. And there's definitely an opportunity for people like us with, with our marketing expertise. And it's what's the second and third order effects of that, right? And the, the other thing that I saw is California just said by 2035, all cars on the road need to be electric, which we all know this is coming, going from gas to electric. But to see that line in the sand for that year, man, it'll be interesting to see what other states do. And obviously, that's going to huge have a huge impact on Tesla, Ford, and like the big auto manufacturers and like gas stations, but like what else will be happening with that? You know, even right now, friends out of electric cars that live in condo buildings, it's a knife fight for who gets the charging stations and the schedule for that. Will there be there will there be like an Airbnb for using people's charging stations? So I don't know. It's it's gonna be interesting. That's huge. I actually did know that. I don't know if you know this, but California is actually the standard for emission car emissions. So what they set becomes the standard for all car manufacturers because you're not going to make a car A of the same model for California and then the rest for the other for the rest of the 50 states in the US. And if you think about California, it's really the fifth largest country. If it was to be a country, it would be the fifth largest economy in the world. So that's huge. That's literally saying that in the US, all cars, or at least most cars, will eventually become electric by 2035. That's literally what that means. So that's huge. Gosh, I better sell my old beat up Jeep pretty soon then is what that means. Just <laughs> rotting away our driveway or backup car. Okay, awesome. Well, by the way, I didn't know you're such a um, so knowledgeable in the state of California. Well done. Excited to see what other states you can drop knowledge on next time. Yeah, unfortunately, it ends in California. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Jim. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. GrowthIt serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, 
GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.